sanded planking. The first officer, Commander Rickman, bounded down the metal steps abaft the bridge platform, heading toward the after conning position, his battle station, where he would assume control of the ship should the wheelhouse be knocked out. With a brilliant cascade of golden light, the sun broke above the horizon. Rankin's breath caught in his throat. He saw them, enemy ships, painted overall dead black, were only just visible against the jungle-crowned island behind them. No sign of life aboard the vessels. Neither lights nor flags nor movement indicated an awareness of the approaching American fleet. Rankin drew himself to attention as Commodore George Dewey mounted the bridge ladder, accompanied by the natalie attired Mr. Joseph Stickney, reporter for the New York Herald. Captain Charles Gridley, gaunt-faced but determined, emerged from the wheelhouse to meet them. The three took up positions mere feet from where Rankin stood. Rankin towered over the diminutive Commodore. From the corner of his eye, he inspected the portly little man. Dewey's white uniform seemed to shine, crisp starch crackling with every movement, gold braid on his collar reflecting the rays of the rising sun. The ends of his huge mustache were waxed to a dangerous keenness. In contrast, upon his head he wore a golf cap, red and green tartan, with a red pom-pom sprouting from the crown. Dewey tugged self-consciously at its brim, doing his best to maintain a military bearing. Range to the target, Mr. Howson. Eight thousand yards in closing, sir. Very well. Take her close along the five-fathom line, but be careful not to ground her. Captain Gridley turned and saluted as he said, I'll take my position now on the conning tower. With your permission, Commodore. Dewey nodded, watching silently as Gridley descended the metal stairs to the armored control station one level below. Olympia edged closer inshore, her consorts following in good order. Still, no sign of enemy resistance. Now, Rankin could make out more details on the Spanish ships. Tall masts and yards, huge funnels, low squat gun turrets. He felt droplets of sweat rolling down his spine. Whether from the ungodly tropical heat or fear, he did not know. Dewey, too, seemed nervous, pacing about like a caged animal, his eyes darting to and fro as if to take in every last detail. He turned to Rankin unexpectedly. You're Rankin, aren't you? Corporal in the Marine Detachment. Yeah. Yes, sir. Rankin stammered, pleased and surprised the Commodore would remember his name, especially at this critical time. Dewey's fierce eyes scanned the enemy line, then shifted back to Rankin. Well, you can't be much over 18. Your first action, then? Yes, sir. Rankin felt tongue-tied and stupid. We were all of us apprehensive the first time. You'll do well, I expect. As the Commodore turned his attention once again to the approaching enemy line, Rankin gathered his courage. He wanted desperately to say or do something to help ease the tension. Right now, sir, I'm a bit more afraid of you than I am the Dons. Dewey's head snapped round, eyes boring into Rankin's. Others on the bridge gathered closer, listening. Rankin drew in a deep breath. Afraid of me? How so, young man? Well, sir, I do believe I was the one that threw your cover, your dress hat, overboard while we were clearing the ship for action. Sir. Dewey glanced upward, as if he could see the ridiculous hat perched upon his head. Just a hint of a smile twitched the corner of his mouth. I see. I shall have to keep a close eye on you then, won't I, Corporal? Yes, sir. Smiles lit up the faces of those on the bridge. Chuckles drifted from the wheelhouse. Dewey straightened his shoulders as if a great burden were suddenly removed. He nodded. That was well spoken, young man. At just the right moment. Stickney leaned on the railing, pointing toward Dewey's hat. Not quite up to regulation, sir, but it does look rather jaunty. Just you tend to your reporting, Mr. Stickney. 
Mr. Gordon, make a signal to the fleet. Enemy in sight. Then hoist our battle ensigns. The Spanish ships were completely visible now, anchored in a crescent formation half a mile from shore. The musty smell of damp jungle vegetation drifted seaward from the islands behind the enemy. Glancing up from his pad, Stickney frowned. They're not even getting any steam up. I thought the Dons were better sailors than that. Rankin wanted to cheer, but took his cue from Dewey and Gordon and balanced against the delicate roll of the deck. An ominous silence settled over the ship, a tension broken only by the slight flapping of the stars and stripes from the mast overhead. Were it not for that, and the faint hum of the electric blower circulating air to the bowels of the ship, the Olympia might have been inhabited by ghosts. At that moment, a man on deck glanced aloft at the fluttering flag. Remember the main, boys! From somewhere among the enemy, a gun fired. Whether from ship or shore could not be determined. The shell warbled through the air, making it sound like a tearing bedsheet. It exploded directly over Olympia, 50 feet up. Shrapnel rained down, pelting the ship like buckshot. The red and yellow flags of sovereign Spain broke out from the mastheads of the anchored enemy ships. Dewey unexpectedly laid a hand on Rankin's arm. Stay close by me, son. If our communications are cut, I shall have to rely upon you to carry my orders to the other parts of the ship. Aye, aye, sir. Range to the enemy. Closing on 5,300 yards, sir. Very well. Dewey strode forward, resting his hands on the railing at the edge of the bridge. For a moment more, he scanned the enemy position, then leaned forward to speak into the brass voice pipe connecting the bridge with the conning tower below. You may fire when you are ready, Gridley. Olympia's first broadside ripped open the sky and thundered on its way mere seconds after the Commodore's order. Rankin nearly jumped out of his skin as the twin eight-inch guns fore and aft roared in unison, sending a shuddering blast across the ship. Shockwaves disturbed the air and shrieked out across the surface of the bay. Tongues of flame and billowing clouds of brown cordite smoke belched from the muzzles of the guns. Rankin fought for control as noise and vibration hammered his senses like physical blows. From astern came the roaring blasts of the other ships as they added their firepower to the fray. Acrid gun smoke drifted down on the bridge, biting at Rankin's nose and throat. Through watering eyes, he followed the officer's example and peered toward the enemy position to gauge the results of those first shots. Towering white columns of water sprouted near the hulls of the Spanish ships, blasted upward by the exploding shells. Other projectiles burst in the air, angry red blossoms in the dawn sky. The Spanish replied immediately from both ship and shore. The entire enemy fleet came alive with bright red pinpoints of light as their guns answered those of the American fleet. Puffs of dirty gray smoke drifted from the island foliage, marking hidden shore batteries. To Rankin, it appeared as if every enemy gun were aimed solely at him. He steeled himself, waiting for the onslaught. In seconds, it arrived. Shells screamed down from the sky, striking the surface of the sea on either side of the Olympia. Most burst immediately upon impact, creating stupendous geysers of foaming water. In horror, Rankin watched a few as they skipped across the surface. Others sang close overhead with the peculiar warbling sound of a tumbling projectile. Time-fused shells exploded in the air, spraying the decks with smoking shrapnel. To Rankin's amazement, Dewey remained unfazed by the tumult. Rankin glanced down at his new corporal stripes and with grim determination girded himself and waited. The noise grew to a continuous rumble, concussion shaking the ship to its core. Grains of sand danced along the deck each time the great guns fired. Rankin stayed at Dewey's elbow following as the Commodore paced the bridge. 
Dewey spoke little, occasionally shouting a course correction to the men in the wheelhouse. He seemed oblivious to the shot and shell raining down as the Spaniards concentrated their fire on the American flagship. Severed halyard lines whipped about in the breeze, smoking pieces of shells ricocheted from the railing beneath Dewey's hands as he paused a moment to peer through the smoke and water spouts at the Spanish capital ships, still inexplicably at anchor. More shrapnel plowed across the wooden deck, producing splinters that pierced the fabric of his trousers like the quills of a porcupine. Dewey paid them no heed and continued his resolute pacing. Heeding Dewey's admonition to stay close, Rankin matched the shorter man step for step, motion for motion, hoping to display the same calm demeanor. Meanwhile, Mr. Stickney stood rock-steady amidst the maelstrom, pencil flying furiously across the pages of his notebook as he attempted to record every detail. After his first rush of fear, Rankin found himself fascinated by the battle. His hands steadied, although his mouth remained as dry as the sanded deck. Time became meaningless, measured only by the intervals between the firing of the main guns. Now and then, he observed hits on the Spanish ships, deep red blotches against the black hulls. Smoke and debris flew through the air from the enemy vessels as the shells exploded. Three times the American fleet sailed past the enemy, closer each time until the roar of the main guns alternated with the flat crack of the smaller five and six inch weapons of the secondary armament. As Dewey ordered the 180 degree turn to bring the fleet online for a fourth pass, he looked up, a frown creasing his face. Uncapping a voice pipe at the side of the wheelhouse, he blew into it and leaned down to listen. After a few moments, he slapped the lid down, beckoning Rankin even closer. They both ducked toward the shelter of the wheelhouse as iron rained down from an airburst, pinging like hailstones on the sealed deck. Dewey shouted above the roar of the guns. The voice tube has been cut, Rankin. Seek out the chief engineer. My compliments, and I'll have considerably less smoke from the funnels or know the reason why. Off with you now, and take care the dons don't nick you on the way. Rankin snapped a quick salute and charged down the bridge ladder, nearly falling in his haste. On the deck below, he used a few precious seconds to collect and calm himself, then rapidly descended two more levels to the main deck. Skirting the rounded sides of the armored conning tower, he slipped through a passageway and inside the gun casemate. Here, the armored bulkhead ran the length of the midship's area, protecting the row of five-inch guns. Rankin's eyes took in the chaotic scene. Gun crews, naked to the waist, trouser legs rolled up, bare feet slapping on the wooden deck, worked furiously to serve the smoking weapons. Surrounding steel amplified the noise, with each detonation echoing from the metal. To a man, the gun crews wore rags about their heads, covering their ears. Stinging smoke clung to their sweating bodies. Rankin sprinted the length of the deck past the guns. He had served as a gun layer during drills, knew the agony and pain the men went through as they hefted the 110-pound shells and manually trained the heavy weapons. Once past the last gun, Rankin veered toward the middle of the deck. He descended the companionway ladder, quickly making his way down four more levels until he reached the main engineering spaces. Even this far below deck level, he could feel the jolting vibrations of the guns and smell the cordite that left its coppery taste in the back of his throat. On an iron catwalk above the massive engines, he found the chief engineer, Commander Isles. A gangly Scot of uncertain temper, Isles possessed the disdain for authority common to his profession. He greeted Rankin with an evil stare and a spurt of tobacco juice which spattered on the grating. Oh, one of the young angels descended into hell. And what brings you to my domain, laddie? Rankin saluted. The Commodore's compliments, sir. And he says we're making too much smoke. He wants it cut down or he'll see you on the carpet. 
Oh, he does, does he? Ah, just the guns, you see, laddie. The shock of them knocks the coal about in the bunkers, making dust, which burns to a fine, greasy smoke. He leaned over the railing to shout at the stokers below, black from head to toe with coal dust. Isles bellowed above the clanking roar of the steam and pistons. Do you hear that, you heathens? Wet the coal down proper before you shovel it into the boilers. The great man says we be making too much smoke and he cannot see but the wee distance. Isles turned back to Rankin. Tell himself it's been seen to, and tell him I'd appreciate it considerable were he to keep them great nasty shells from clanging into the sides of my ship. It upsets the lads, and the dents and holes make us look seedier coming into port. I'll tell him, Mr. Isles. Rankin saluted again before retracing his steps to the main deck. Once more he ran the gauntlet of barking five-inch guns, straining to maintain his footing against the concussion of their reports. As he approached the last gun, a deafening explosion jarred the casemate. Flame and smoke billowed in through the gun port. The gun crew was thrown backwards, crashing into ammunition lockers and lifeboats. Rankin fell to the deck as well, the sand biting into his face as he slid along the planking. His head slammed against a steel locker. Stunned for a moment, he slowly gathered his wits. As he staggered to his feet, he noticed a great blackened dent bulging inward on the casemate, less than a foot from the muzzle of the five-inch gun. A direct hit from an enemy shell. Flakes of burning paint drifted down. Rankin approached on shell-shocked legs. Though the enemy round had not penetrated the armor, the concussion of its detonation had rendered the four men of the gun crew senseless. Glancing out of the gun port, Rankin drew in his breath sharply. Surging through the water, not a mile away, the turtleback shape and dark green color of a torpedo boat were unmistakable. A Spanish flag whipped smartly from its mainmast. Where'd that bastard come from? Rankin muttered through clenched teeth. He checked the gun, found it loaded and ready. Spinning the training wheel, he brought the weapon on target, then stood back and jerked the lanyard. The weapon roared, flame jetting from the muzzle. Rankin waited, staring out over the water. The shell exploded just ahead of the torpedo boat, sending up a column of spray as high as its mast. Rankin swore aloud as he jerked open the breech of the gun. He glanced about desperately until he spied a shell lying on the deck next to the prostrate loader. Grunting with effort, he cradled it in his arms, then slid it into the chamber of the gun. After locking the breech, he sighted again, swinging the barrel to cover the charging torpedo boat. You were taught to shoot better than that, Rankin. Leader, and fire on the uproll. As the ship rolled upward in the sea, Rankin pulled the lanyard again. Once more, the weapon roared. As the smoke cleared, Rankin gave a shout. An explosion rocked the torpedo boat just behind her bridge. Flame and debris flew into the air. The vessel veered sharply to the left, slowing visibly. Steam leaked from her like the blood of a wounded animal. She continued to turn until her bow pointed toward shore, apparently discouraged in her effort to launch her torpedoes. A hand descended upon Rankin's shoulder. He spun around, coming face to face with one of the gun crew, a sailor he knew only as Swede. We take their control.